0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City. If you're, uh, if you're just visiting with us today, um, we are uh, very excited to have you here. My name is Joel. I am one of the pastors here uh, at the church, and we have been going through uh, lately the book of Ruth, um, this short little book, uh, kind of in the beginning of your Bible. Uh, it's, it's one of the first... First few books that you find in there it takes place pretty early on in israel 's history and um, we 've been we 're we're doing about six weeks on this one and we find in, in this sermon series just a really uh, just a really uh, you know in, in a very simple story like a very profound understanding uh, of god and um, And in how he works and how he shows his uh, loving loyalty to us—that's kind of been the theme uh, for for the sermon. And and we've been following um, a few people in particular. The three main characters in the book are Ruth, who the book is named for, uh, Naomi, and then Boaz. And so, just a little refresher for you: Um, if you haven't been here or you've not been in the Book of Ruth before, um, Ruth and Naomi are—Naomi is the wife of a a landowner in Israel. Um, Because of a famine, they head to Moab. Uh, He ends up dying. Um, he has two sons um, who have, uh, each have a wife um, who are from this nation that they moved to, from Moab, and, and both of the sons die, and so all that's really left are Naomi, the mother, and then Ruth, who's one of uh, the wives of one of uh, uh, Naomi's sons. And so they end up coming back to Israel, and they're in, in trouble because um, they don't really have any way to, uh, to to live for themselves, especially kind of living in a very uh, male-centric uh uh, society that they did, and so they uh, go out and, they, and they're waiting for God to kind of show his, his, uh, his loving loyalty to them, and the book has, has, has seen that happen in small ways, uh, primarily through uh, Boaz, who is this, this rich, kind of well, well-off landowner who, who uh, helps uh, Ruth out by allowing her to glean in his field. But last week, um, Ruth and Naomi come up with this really daring, um, kind of odd plan uh, to to ask to see if Boaz will do more because they learn he's, he's something called their guardian redeemer, which we're going to talk about today more, um, but that just meant kind of according to some of Israel's laws, um, as a relative of theirs, he would be one of the people that would be uh, tasked with helping them out. And so um, they say, let's go uh, to Boaz and let's see if he'll... He'll really fulfill those and, and maybe even go a little bit further. And so Boaz is, is uh, sleeping one night in a field on the threshing floor, um, and Ruth goes, and in a totally normal way, uh, you know, not strange at all, she un- lays next to him in the middle of the night and uncovers his feet and wakes, waits for him to wake up. Who among us does not have a friend who asks someone to prom in that way, right? Um, very, very normal. Um, and, she, and so it's a risky thing, and he wakes up, and she's like, hey, I like am putting myself online I want you to be our guardian redeemer and Boaz is like I'm going to do it I'm going to do it and I, like, I applaud your boldness um, and your care uh, for, for Naomi and for the estate of Elimelech and I'm going to do this for you okay but there's a problem okay and we got to talk a little bit about the problem Today. That's kind of what our passage is about. And in order to understand the problem and how it works out, we need to actually just kind of sit for a little bit in an ancient Israelite government class, right? We kind of understand like, like a very, very straightforward way of how the legal workings of a guardian redeemer would take place. Because actually, this passage is almost like, like a court document, right? Like we, we were able to get the, the publicly accessible records from all of these land dealings that have taken place place in Israel, and we're just reading through them. That's kind of what like, a lot of this, uh, this passage that we're going through today is actually like. So in order to really understand what's going on, we kind of have to dig into some of the legal stuff that takes place in ancient Israel, which is actually uh, super fascinating when we, when we dig into it. And um, even just from like a historical standpoint to see uh, what's changed, <laughs> um, a lot has changed um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, all right? So Boaz has said to, to Ruth, after that night, I'm taking care of this right now, okay? Uh, this, this, uh, this I, I want to see you redeemed, but there's a problem. I'm actually not, the, the, I know of another guardian redeemer who's actually closer in line to you. So we'll talk a little bit about, about that. So what he does is he, he runs into town, he runs to the city gate, and he's going to take care of this business first thing in the morning. He doesn't even go home that morning. Okay, he so he so badly wants to make this happen that he's running uh, to the city gate uh, to make sure that this is going to take place. So um, let's jump right into the text here, where we'll kind of unpack uh, what is going on uh, in this passage. All right, so Ruth four one. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian or deemer that he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, "Come over here, my friend, and sit down." So he went and sat down. All right. Uh, Daniel Block, one of the commentators that we've been using for the Syrinx series, says city gates in Palestine in the early Iron Age were complex uh, structures with lookout towers at the outside and a series of rooms on either side of the gateway where defenders of the town would be stationed. All right, but beyond that, he continues and says, "But these gateways also served a secondary purpose as a gathering place uh, for the citizens of the town." This is where the official administrative and judicial business of the community was conducted. So you have this, you have this a city gate that kind of marks out the entrance to the city, and there are all these rooms alongside of it where, um, where it's, it's like the main gathering place for the city. So legal proceedings would take place here. Um, and, and as well as just like different gatherings of the, of the community. So imagine like it's the courthouse, the city hall, and the DMV, and the most popular brewery all in one, right? This is the city gates of the city where everything kind of takes place. Okay, so, so Boaz goes up to the town gate and he sits down uh, to wait for the guardian. Just as the, and just as he sits down, the guardian redeemer walks by. All right, so citizens would recognize Boaz just sitting there as an official city act. All right, so they would have seen like, oh, Boaz is here to do some sort of business. Like he's just sitting here and he's waiting. It's first thing in the morning. Um, and he, he'd arrive to kind of take care of whatever this business is. Now, again, and if, and if you have been following along with this book of Ruth, um, you don't read this part, you know, where that says the guardian redeemer just kind of happened to come along, um, you know, randomly. Like, we, we have been reading this and understanding, even though the God is not always uh, mentioned specifically. The author doesn't say, and then God made the guardian redeemer, uh, the other guardian redeemer, walk by. Like, we're supposed to understand, like, this, this seeming coincidence is actually God uh, working and, and causing this guardian redeemer to walk by. All right, so Boaz says to him, hey, come over here, my friend, and, and sit down with me. So, Sit down with me means like let's we're gonna we're gonna have like an official legal thing happen right here. Now the, the the translation for the NIV here says my friend, but apparently that's not a very good way to translate it. It's a super hard uh, word to translate, but it actually in the original Hebrew it's not necessarily like a a, uh, a term of respect or something. It, you could read it as like hey Mr. So and So or hey you come sit over here with me. Even though Boaz knows this guy's name, he's related to him. All right, uh, and and so uh, the narrative doesn't give this guy a name. We never find out what his name is um, as we go on, which is going to be ironic. We'll find out uh, as we get towards the end because it turns out he's actually pretty. Uh, he's pretty. Um, uh, uh, it's important to him that his name is known, so it's kind of ironic. and And the the narrative doesn't want us to see this guy in like a positive light. We're going to see as we read forward, and one of the ways that we we see that is by how what Boaz says to him and how he doesn't even name the guy. In a book that gives names, you know, is very uh, thoughtful in in saying the names of different people. We never hear this guy's name. We're just going to call him, uh, hey you, as the book goes on, okay? So this is now, hey you, Boaz said, hey you, come over here and sit down. So hey you, uh, sat down next to Boaz. And so now we have this official legal proceeding and the two principal parties are present so that it can now take place. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. So Boaz goes and he gathers 10 other men um, to constitute a legal assembly of witnesses. Right, there's no, like, mayor or, or city administrator or any official, um, like, like designations for the city here. You just kind of needed to get some of the like respected landowners um, who in this time were all men to kind of come over and, and take place and be witnesses to the legal proceeding that's about to take place. So Boaz goes and he, he finds these guys and he has them sit down also, which again, is like them taking, agreeing to take part in the legal proceedings. Okay, So they find a side room within, uh, within the... Uh, the city gates, and they all sit down together, and this kind of, um, this kind of legal transaction starts to take place with appropriate witnesses there uh, to document what's going to take place so that it could be officially recognized by everyone in the city, all right? So to understand what's going on, we have to understand how this legal redemption works, all right? So um, le- let's just say you have a distressed person, okay? Whatever, it can be a lot of different things, and, and the law of Israel stipulates, I think, five different... Um, five different roles that the guardian redeemer um, is supposed to take place in. So you have a distressed person, and then the nearest relative becomes your guardian redeemer. And and the law expects that person uh, to... To come and help this distressed person out in whatever whatever way that they they need help in. Sometimes through the official uh, ways of of guardian redeeming, or sometimes in in other ways, which is what we'll see happen in this passage. But if the nearest relative is not able to do it for some reason, then the burden of responsibility is passed on to the next relative. And if not, then the next relative, and et cetera, et cetera. If one ring can't help out, then it moves forward. So Boaz is determined in the narrative here that you have Elimelech. This is Naomi's husband and his estate are distressed. Then there's Heyu. Okay? And then you have Boaz. He's on the outer ring. So legally, Boaz wants to, wants to, to be the guardian redeemer. He wants to see them redeemed. And, and re- redemption here is like a, a legal term in the way that the, that the passage uses it. Um, Boaz wants to see redemption happen, but legally he has to make sure that Heyu has an opportunity to be the redeemer first. Okay, so that's what he's doing. He's he's going to alert Heyu uh, to the fact that this land and estate of Elimelech needs to be redeemed. Now we don't really figure out much about the land. This is kind of really one of the only times we talk about it. But um, we know that Elimelech and his family moved because of a famine to Moab, so they probably sold their land this land that they had that had been in their family for generations that is super important and kind of tied up with 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 the family name they had probably sold it and there's a chance they even sold it to an outsider right this is kind of seen as like a shameful thing all right so so um, for 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 this to take place like it's drawing attention to the fact that it might actually have been a shameful thing for a like uh, to to move over to Moab now they had to do it right because of the famine the, the, the narrative has made that clear but it might not have been looked on as a really like up and up act by like to do that okay all we know though about the land is this is even that speculation but all we officially know about the land is that Boaz is alerting uh, his closer relative uh, of the opportunity to buy back this land all right um, and he seems to have, have concluded, like, again, this is the first time the land has actually shown up in the passage. Naomi doesn't bring it up. Ruth never mentions the land um, when her and Boaz are hanging out on the threshing floor the night before. Um, and so this is, Boaz somehow figures out there's some land that needs to be redeemed here. But we're going to find out that the land is actually second, the secondary concern to Boaz. To everybody else, the land would have been a big deal. But to Boaz, he is more concerned with something else, and it has to do with something that will come with the land, which is Ruth and Naomi. He wants to see them cared for and wants to be able to make that happen. And we're going to find out he wants to marry Ruth. Like he actually wants to, to, to do that through marrying Ruth. Okay. All right, let's get back into the passage. So then he said to the Garden Redeemer, this is Boaz, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Now, this is uh, another time where the translation is not helpful. Um, The word for sell, like Naomi is selling this land, is a Hebrew word, makar, which usually does mean sell in like a legal setting, but can also mean like a, str- a giving away. Now, we, we know that women were not allowed to own property in this time. So for, it's, it's surprising to read that Naomi was selling this land. And what's more like, and, and like we said, sh- they probably had to sell the land when they moved away. So um, what's more likely to be happening is, is Naomi is, is giving someone, is kind of setting in motion the the legal uh, wheels that need to turn in order for someone else to go and buy back her land. But she kind of needs to give her express approval of it, it seems like, um, because she doesn't actually have the ability to sell the land and, like... Doesn't own it in any real sense that that we can understand. Okay, so and and as much as we hate that, right? Like as much as we maybe don't like the idea that that women couldn't have sold or owned property in that time, that's just the way it was. So Boaz is taking he's 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 taking extra initiative to make sure that this takes place. Again, Naomi and Ruth don't set any of this in motion. Boaz kind of surmises it on his own and goes out and makes sure that's going to take place. Okay, and he's trying to again. Uh, get hey you to kind of take his role as guardian redeemer and make this happen if you will redeem it do so but if you will not tell me so i will know for no one has the right to do it except you and then i am the next in line i will do it hey you said so boaz says if you want to take up your duty as guardian redeemer let me know and let's make it official now, this is like a good opportunity, right? This is like a, a bunch of land that this guy is able to go out and, and purchase. And like, that's, that's a good you way know, You can use land for lots of different things, especially in an agrarian society like this. Like having more land would be super helpful. And so, HeyU is like, yeah, for sure. Like that sounds like a good idea to me. I, I will go in and take care of that. Now, if Ruth is watching, we don't know that she is, but there's a decent chance that Ruth is, is kind of, is watching from somewhere and trying to kind of keep an eye on the proceedings because she, you know, has a, obviously a vested interest in what's going to happen here. You can imagine that her heart might sink here because she's like, oh man, I don't even know Hey you, and his name's Hey you. Right, like I don't want him to be the one to redeem the land and, and to be the one to, to help us out and to maybe even marry me. I want it to be Boaz. We, we have seen what type of guy Boaz is throughout the book of Ruth so far, and you can imagine that that is her hope, is that Boaz will be the one to do it because of how he's treated her and Naomi uh, and, and what it would mean for her to be able to, to get married to this guy and to, to have him be the one to redeem her. All right? Now, we also are perhaps wondering... Boaz has not mentioned something important here too, right? You, you notice, like Boaz has has not talked about Ruth yet. He's just talked about the land. Well, now after the after Heyu has said I'm going to do this, Boaz does bring it up. He said he's it's kind of like a oh yeah, one more thing, one more thing for you Heyu. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Okay, so now, like I said, acquiring the land was a good prospect, all right, and, and it was and it was what it would have made Heyu feel like a good dude because he was doing what he was legally supposed to do, all right. So you kind of get the double benefit of like feeling like a good guy and getting some land. It's kind of like a, you know, like a no lose deal, no lose operation. But when he finds out uh, that that Ruth is a part of it, we're gonna see that he 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 might change his mind when he finds out. Now, just to dig into this, like um this is a technical point but it actually ends up being kind of important so from what we know about the the guardian redeemer's role and i talked about this a few weeks ago but there were five official roles that the guardian redeemer is supposed to to fill out based on what we know from other passages in scripture that kind of detail uh, the the law all right none of them include marrying the widow of a deceased relative there are laws that are, take place and are kind of a part of, of other uh, what are called levy right laws that do talk about that. But in terms of this, this, this kind of narrow guardian redeemer distinction that Boaz is talking about, that's not actually something that the guardian redeemer needs to do. So so Boaz is kind of leaning in on this guy to say to him, listen, so the law says you, you got to take care of the land. But if you really want to to do what the law says. The spirit of the law says to make sure that that relatives who are distressed are all cared for. That's what this is talking about. So if you're going to do this land thing, then you should all, you're going to get Ruth too. I'm going to make sure that Ruth is a part of that and that she's cared for. So he's kind of leaning in and using his kind of considerable uh, cultural capital to make sure that Ruth and Boaz are, are, are Ruth and Naomi are, are taken care of. And, and this is just an observation, but it's important for us to note the way that Boaz views the law. He doesn't just view it as a bunch of, of checklists that we got to follow to make sure that we're okay, right? To try to say, like, well, I did my part, I did the law, and so I'm good now. That's not how Boaz views it. He, he wants to understand what is at the heart of this, what is the, why is this law here, what's the purpose of it, and how can we make sure what, what, what the purpose of this law is, like, actually take effect, all right, and that's just something to, to, to consider. I don't, I'm not going to talk a whole lot more about that, but I think um, it's just important to kind of to, to hone in on that, right? And, and get an understanding of what, what Boaz is doing. We actually we did a whole sermon on that back that kind of idea of how we understand commands and and, and how we sh- what it looks like to follow God uh, back in the in the sermon uh, series in Ephesians that we did, Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. So if you want to hear a little more about that, you can go ahead and listen to that sermon. Uh, but just, just notice how, how Boaz does that, okay? All right, so now there's this tension, right? There's this like, what is, hey, you going to do? Is he going to do this thing? Um, Is he going to to acquire Ruth as well? This thing that Ruth is probably like hoping doesn't happen? Um, And and, and notice that he throws in too that Ruth is a Moabite. He doesn't just say you're going to acquire, you know, the, the, the widow of Elimelech's son. He specifically says, hey, she's also a Moabite. And if you remember, like Moab and Israel don't get along super well. They're not the best of friends, all right? And so, um, it would have been like probably potentially problematic uh, from the standpoint of, hey, you, to like take in this Moabite with it too. Like, oh boy, that's not something I, I want on my, you know, as part of my family, right? And so he says at this, the, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I, I cannot do it, okay? So he says, you know what? You, you take it then. I, I, it, it might be bad for my estate if I take on Ruth as well and Naomi. Now, we don't exactly understand why he's saying that. There's a few different reasons why um, he, might have, he might have said it would endanger or jeopardize his own estate. All right, First of all, um, adding up the cost of bringing Ruth and Naomi in and having to feed them, maybe would not have been a sound fiscal move. He could say, well, it's not a sound investment to bring in these extra mouths to feed, right? You know how scarce grain is these days, and, and, and these people might eat me out of my, my home. I, it just doesn't make sense. F- Good, good sound financial sense to help these people out, right? That could be it. It could be um, that raising up the child, like so, let's say he does marry Ruth and and has it has a child now, um, because it's the land of Elimelech. That if it's a boy, that child would eventually become the owner of that estate. And hey, you might actually like his name might run out someday because it would kind of be taken in under the name of Elimelech, because that's whose, whose son uh, this is coming from, right? His, his son would actually be part, of, be part of Elimelech's line, not his line. Okay, so maybe he's afraid that his estate would actually fall into the hands of someone else, of Elimelech, instead of him, which shows that he has this, this big concern for making sure his name is known, you know, throughout the generations. He really is concerned with that. Now, here's, here's the irony, if that's the reason that, that um, Hey You says this. The irony is that, and I'm not going to get into spoilers too much, because so you got to come back next week, or just keep reading the book of Ruth on your own, which you can also do. But the end of the book actually tells us um, what happens in the succeeding generations of Ruth, and what, what her child, uh, who, what, what that line ends up uh, paying out in. Okay, And so, the name of Elimelech, and if Boaz gets, get, gets bro- you know, propped up throughout the history, right, even till today, or, you know, reading this thousands of years later, we're still talking about the name of this person, right, when the irony is that Elimelech was so concerned with his own name, or sorry, not Elimelech, Heyu was so excited about his name being known in the future someday, that in trying to protect that, he actually makes it so he's a footnote in history, Right? And that's what is happening in the book. And the book doesn't even give him a name, right? It doesn't even give him the honor of having his, his name be known throughout the histories. All right? The third reason could be that Ruth is a Moabite, right? Like we talked about before. He could just say, you know what? That wouldn't look very good on my Instagram profile if people saw I married a Moabite. So no thanks. I don't want to take part in, in this thing. Um, you do it yourself, okay? We don't know exactly what the reason was. It could have been one of any, any one of those three or a combination of of all of them. We, we just don't know, all right? So he said, all right, this is yours. This is this is yours to take Boaz, all right? Then we get into like a parenthetical, um, which kind of shows us that this book was actually written later on from when it was actually um, taking place. Um, there's another reason for that. We'll find out next week too. But um, there's a parenthetical to help uh, people who are reading this later on understand how the legal proceeding kind of uh, takes place. So now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Okay, It's it's like signing a legal document, right? They didn't have paper back then, and they didn't have you know, ways of processing these legal things taking place. And so what they do is they would say, like, I'm gonna, you're going to give this person your sandal to show that this actually took place so that we have something to back it up with. That way, if if one party could produce the sandal, if the other party goes back on the deal, you know, if, if you know, a few days later they go up and he's like, hey, so you bought this land or you, you made this this deal with me. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Uh, that did not happen. I definitely remember it differently than you do. And they could pull the sandal and say, "Well, why do I have this then? Right? I have your sandal. This means something took place. So now you have you cannot get away from your from your duties or whatever thing that we we had take place in this in this legal proceeding. That's what the giving away of the sandal um, could could mean. Now I don't know how it works. Like if you're a really prolific like real estate developer and you're, you must have a lot of sandals then or something. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but but this is the way that they did it. Like what else do you have that's more fundamental than the shoes that you wear in that time period? That you didn't really have anything else that's a personal belonging. So your sandals kind of become the thing that you use. All right. So the the, the text tells us that and it moves on to verse eight and nine. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, you buy it yourself and he removed his sandal Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. These are the sons of Elimelech, Kilion and and Malon. Okay? Um, Now, again, um, the NIV here is probably misleading and not quite translated correctly. Boaz is not buying this from Naomi. He's probably won the right to go and negotiate with whoever does own this land and to make sure that he gets to go buy it. Okay, so before you were able to do that, you had to kind of acquire the right to be the guardian redeemer, right? You have to kind of acquire that legal status for yourself before you can go and do it. So now he's won the right to go redeem the land, but he still has to go and negotiate a deal, presumably with whoever owns this land on behalf of Naomi. Boaz continues, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Melon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown today you are witnesses okay and now we see what is what Boaz really cares about here he, the land is not super important to him we know he's well off uh, we know he has plenty of land. Um, he's not worried about his own estate. That's why he's able to be so generous with Ruth earlier in the book. For him, he wants to acquire Ruth as his, own w- in his, as his own wife so that he can maintain the name of the dead with his property. He doesn't want Elimelech's name to disappear. He wants that to continue on through children. And he wants to be with Ruth. We know how, uh, how highly he views Ruth from how he's talked about her earlier in the book. So this is, this is Boaz's end. This is what he desires. He doesn't care about the land like everybody else would have. He cares about helping Ruth out, about marrying her, and making sure Elimelech's line continues on. Then all the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So the, the, the witnesses, remember these guys have been sitting around, kind of watching all of this, and, and, and they're going to say, yeah, we are witnesses, and that kind of concludes the legal proceeding. And they kind of offer a blessing. They see what Boaz is doing, and they're like, this is great. We are we're hopeful, we are praying that, 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 that God would make Ruth like Rachel and Leah, or like uh, Perez, um, or sorry, like Tamar, um, they're hoping that, that God blesses Boaz with, with a son. Um, and that not just that they have a son, but like that it would be such an instrumental child that it would mirror like the coming of Israel's a nation through Rachel and Leah, who Jacob marries, um, or through uh, Tamar, who was born to Judah. This is where... Um, the, different, the line of Israel has continued on through these important other uh, women um, who, have, who have born children who have kind of continued on the line. And they're saying, we hope Ruth is like that. We hope that she's used in a fundamental way. Now, if you read about the Rachel and Leah and Jacob account, um, it's not one that we should mirror necessarily. It's kind of, a, it kind of a, if you think Ruth going and laying in a threshing field you know, and uncovering Boaz's feet to ask him to, to marry her is weird or bad. Like, read these stories of Tamar and Judah and Rachel and Leah; they're even worse, even weirder. But the the thing that is important there is like God blesses. the the people involved in this, even though we look at it and we're like, "Uh, I don't know if that was the right way to do it or if that makes sense, right? God still blesses um, the actions of these people in in major ways. And we're going to find out, again, I keep hinting at this next week, that God is in fact going to bless uh, this woman, Ruth, and this man, Boaz, in how their lineage plays out, okay? We will will see that that takes place, that these these elders who are wishing this end up being uh, prophetic in a way. All right, so now we've kind of reached the end of the text, and and let's talk a little bit about application. What what does this um, legal proceeding that we just read about uh, tell us uh, in a way that we can apply to our life specifically? And there's really a a couple of application points mainly that I want to talk about, and they build on one another, okay? So the first one is trusting God, use what is unique to you to perform good works, in, you know, and this is from Ephesians 2.10. We've talked about this in the past. Right? Trusting that God has, has made us new in Christ and then as we're created in Christ, um, he gives us good works to go out and do. Okay? But think about it from some of the aspects of the ways that Bo, we see Boaz working in this passage. It includes our knowledge and our, our experience. It includes our skills and our talents. It includes our resources. It includes our privilege. Right? Look at your life. Look at the ways that God has, has blessed you and, and made it so you can do good works. And ask yourself, think and pray about how can I use this stuff uh, to bless others and to, to, to spread God's kingdom through word and through deed. Right, We, we all have, have knowledge or experience in some area. right? All of us are unique in, in the things that we've learned or the, the majors that we've had in college or the jobs that we have that have given us some experience. We all have unique skills or talents that are unique to us. Um, we all have you know, Some of us have certain resources that we can use to bless others. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the, the privilege thing because that's actually something we see uh, Boaz specifically using in this passage. Now, the, the word privilege is is a modern word, right? It's one that we've kind of used uh, to come up with to talk about the way in which certain societies just are, are geared towards certain people who fit the majority um, in that society. And just it just is the way that the world works that it just is going to work a little bit easier for some people because of some parts of their identity, right? Um, and the, the, we don't see, like, that's like I'm not using that in a negative way, right? Like you'll see privilege talked about. It's kind of a hot-button issue today. A lot of people talk about it. And they talk about, like, sometimes like privilege is as a, as a negative thing or an evil thing, right? I'm not talking about it in that way. I'm talking about it in in a neutral way, right? It's just something that about the way that the world is. And just like everything else, if you have some privilege, you can use it in some way to help other people. Um, we see Boaz go out of his way using his privilege of being just a a well-known male um, who owns a lot of land in the book, um, who has good standing in the community, we see how he uses that to help these people, Ruth and Naomi, who don't have any of that privilege in the society, to make sure that they're cared for. Carolyn Custis James says, Boaz's self-appointed advocacy for Naomi on Ruth's behalf demonstrates how radically out of step he is with with his culture. At the male-dominated seat of government, Boaz gives women legal voice. He assumes Naomi has property rights and insists that purchasing her land is an urgent matter. If that wasn't surprise enough, he bends the law to require the kinsman redeemer or the guardian redeemer to fulfill the levy right law, too, in lieu of a blood brother. Okay? So we see what Boaz is doing. He's kind of going above and beyond the law to make sure that Ruth and Naomi are cared for. And he understands it because of who he is, Right? Through, through no fault of his own, through nothing that he's done, he kind of has an ability to do that when, 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 no one, when Ruth and Naomi don't have that ability on their own. Now, Boaz has this conviction about God and about people that, that says, like, I'm going to do what I can to make sure that God's kingdom comes to earth. Even though he may not have thought about it that way, that's his goal. Um, and so if you're someone like Boaz, right, in this time where we talk a lot about privilege, um, think about that and think about ways you can use that to bless others, right? The the Bible, the Bible stands on on privilege or things that we have, resources we have are clear. It's not bad to have those things, but how we choose to use them matters. So if you're someone that has a lot of money, think about how you can use that to bless others. If you have a standing and work that can help out those who, who are below you, think about how you can use that, right? Um, just just. Don't be like, hey, you, don't be so concerned with your own estate or your own affairs that you're not looking out for others and how you can bless them, all right? And, and think about it, actually, like, look at what you have and, and be thoughtful about it, like, in the way that we see Boaz does it, all right? Now, this is a huge biblical theme, right? This is not just something that shows up in the book of, of Ruth. It actually points towards something much bigger and much greater, and that's what, that's what our second point of application is today. Look to the one who gives up his privilege to save us. So at the end of the day, right, Boaz is just a signpost to something much greater. And us, us doing the same, you know, calling ourselves to, to, to follow in Boaz's footsteps and, and ask how we can serve others through what we've been given is, is just a pointer, just a signpost to something much greater, um, I, I recently had, uh, I have a friend, a guy, a guy I know from college who bought a restaurant here in downtown Minneapolis, and I saw him post about it on his Instagram, and so I figured I would go follow the, the restaurant's Instagram just to kind of help support him by in the, in the smallest way possible by following his restaurant. I do want to go eat there now because I looked at, like, the pictures of the food, and I was like, this looks so good. And I was like, just the pictures, like you know, made me feel good. Just looking at the pictures, like, made me feel good, right? And we've all done this, right? You, all, we've, we, you know, if you follow food blogs where, like, the pictures of the, of the food is pristine, right? It looks so amazing. And you're just, like, you get some satisfaction out of just looking at the food. Or some people get satisfaction out of hearing the word bacon or whatever, right? Like, but at the end of the day, just seeing a picture of the food is just a signpost to actually eating it right? To the greater version of it. If I just sit and I stare uh, at my phone all day looking at pictures of the food, that's nothing like going to the restaurant and actually eating this delicious food. Like the experience of that, the the depth of eating the food itself is so much greater than just just the picture of it. And Boaz and us um, giving up our privilege um, or, or looking at what we have to give is just a picture of something much greater, all right, something that is that is greater than, than Boaz could ever be, right? You know, Boaz doing everything he could to help people out. We is a is just a, a small picture of something that's so much greater. All right, and we, we find this in in the book of Philippians. Paul, the apostle Paul, is saying um, he's talking again about how how they, sh- they sh- the Philippians should live with one another. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, so have the mindset of this, this greatest thing, and that's of Jesus himself. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So he's saying Jesus himself had, had in his nature—he is God— but he did not look at that as something to just protect and guard and to, to say, I'm just going to revel in this. Jesus actually had a completely different mindset that said, I'm going to empty myself of this and I'm going to take on the nature of a human, something that is much lower, much lower than being equal to God. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay, so he didn't just become a man for us, he was obedient to God on our behalf to go to death and not just death, right? Not just to go and grow old and then die someday peacefully in a bed, but to be crucified on a cross in this most shameful way of killing somebody in that in that time period, right? This is what Jesus did with his privilege, with his status, with what he had, on our behalf. And and in him doing that, he makes it possible for us to be people who instead of using privilege or or using what we have in in looking out for ourselves in the way that Hey You does, he makes it possible for us uh, to be forgiven of sin, to to, to be forgiven of all the times that we do look to ourselves over others and to make it so that we are able uh, to to go out and be people like him, to have that same mindset as Christ. He wipes away the guilt of our sin and sets us free from it. He makes it so that we're able to use any privilege or resources or knowledge or talent that we have in a Christ-like way. And in doing so, right, as he, as he does that at an individual level for all, all these people throughout the centuries, he, he is making it so that the negative effects of of power and privilege right the things the reason we look at words like that and we we think that they're bad is because we've seen them misused so many times right Jesus comes and makes it possible for us to use those things for good even though we have even though we have seen them used for evil in so many ways and 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 just like Boaz takes action to make someone's past not be held against them and to, and redeem them like he does for Ruth and Naomi He redeems the place that they live, right? The land that they live on and he makes them heirs with him of this whole estate. Jesus does the same thing for us. He redeems us, right? He doesn't count our sin against us. He redeems the land that we live on which is the earth itself, right? There's a lot of passages that talk about Christ summing up all things in heaven and earth under him and being king over all things, right? He's inherited the land for himself and he's made us heirs with him, right? So in this act, in this Boaz-like act, that, that makes what Boaz does pale in comparison. Christ redeems us and is our great and powerful and wonderful and amazing guardian redeemer, all right? So, so let's revel in that. Let, let's, let's, let's be so excited that we have been redeemed by Christ that we can go out and now live like Christ and have the same mindset as him. Every, every Sunday, we, because we think that this act of Christ on the cross, of him uh, emptying himself, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death on a cross, is at the very center of what we believe and, and, and inspires everything that we do, we, we remind ourselves of it by taking communion every single Sunday. Um, and so um, I'm going to invite you up. The worship team is going to come up. Um, we're going to enter into a time of worship as we, as we worship the God um, who who has done this on our behalf, and we're going to remember his sacrifice on the cross for us through taking communion. If you're just visiting with us this Sunday, feel free to come on up. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus. Um, I'll come up and, and I'll, uh, just right up at the front here, there's a piece of bread you can tear off and, and some, some juice um, during the worship time. So if you would join me in prayer, we will, we will then enter into that time. God, uh, we thank you that, that you did not consider uh, a quality with the Godhead being something to, to attain and to guard and to hold on to, Lord, and to not use for our benefit, but instead you empty yourself of it and you give yourself up for us on a cross, Lord. I pray that we would be uh, people who, who are gripped by that, Lord, that that is at, at the very center of our identity, to know that we are people that have been redeemed by, by the greater guardian redeemer um, and, and who are people who then seek to live that out in all sorts of, of small ways, but Lord, ways that are important, God. Help us to see those things. Help us to know the ways that we can have the mindset of Christ in our own uh, day-to-day lives. Lord, give us wisdom through your Holy Spirit to see those things and then, and then spur us on to do that. We pray this in, in the name of Jesus, who, who is above all names. Amen.